0: It was a number of years ago that I was asked if I would come up with some commitment statements, some truths from the Word of God that I would be able to put in principlized form as commands, as commitments that maybe if we were to do, for instance, parent-baby dedication, which we plan to do this coming fall, would I be able to write something that a set of parents, and particularly the dads, could commit themselves to as they see these little ones born into their lives and they commit themselves to parent these children as God would have them. And so I spent some time uh, thinking through Scripture and writing down what I thought would be good, and uh, we ended up actually handing out what we've called Ten Commandments of Parenting. And I want to introduce the subject of our relationship as fathers here on Father's Day to our children by reading Ten Commandments of Parenting. Here is what we want men, according to Scripture, to do. I will seek, as God enables me, to show my children how a husband loves his wife, as Christ loved the church, and how a wife subjects herself to her husband in everything, just as the church willingly subjects herself to Christ. I will seek, as God enables me, to confess my sinfulness to my family, as well as seek their forgiveness when necessary, for the ultimate desire to be pleasing to God in all my ways. I will seek, as God enables me, to abstain from sexual immorality and to promote sexual purity in my home. I will seek, as God enables me, to manage the Lord's money and resources with the utmost integrity, delighting in ways to be a better steward of all our time, talent, and treasure, while always looking to Him to provide for our basic life needs. I will, as God enables me, to do the work of an evangelist, witnessing to those with whom I come in contact of the love and mercy provided alone in Jesus Christ, and to instill in my children the same desire to share this eternal message. I will seek, as God enables me, to raise my children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." I will seek, as God enables me, to teach my children the Word of God and to endeavor to be a model of Christ's likeness for them. I will seek, as God enables me, to consistently provide my children with the rod of reproof for their correction and training, so that they will cease their foolishness and become wise. I will seek, as God enables me, to speak with godly wisdom and to continually train my children not to speak unrighteously. And finally, I will seek as God enables me to love my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love my neighbor as myself, seeking to live a pure and undefiled religion by visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping myself unstained by the world all the while desiring to see the same in my children and theirs. Now this is something that if we thought about it for just a few moments, we'd say, who is sufficient for these things? Who can follow these things through? As you can tell, this is nothing really other than just combing a lot of Scripture together and putting it down on paper and saying, this is what we're commanded to do. And of course, the only way that we can do that is by the Holy Spirit infusing us with grace and power to carry out what God commands. For we know that God does not give us any commands that He does not also give us the Spirit of God to carry out, right? That's a formidable I will list. And if you'd like a copy of that list, I could supply it for you, especially those of you who are new dads, that you would have a new resolve, that you would nurture and train your children in the Lord. And so it is appropriate for us on Father's Day to talk about fathering. And there may be no more appropriate passage of Scripture than the resolve of the person of Joshua. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. We don't have time this morning to read all of Joshua 24, but this is a wonderful summation in Joshua's writing about what we might say is not just his history with the children of Israel, but all of the history of the children of Israel that even precedes him, even with Moses. Because everything that Joshua writes, of course, is that which Moses also encouraged, commanded the children of Israel to follow. And here's what Joshua says. He rehearses, especially beginning with verse 6 about the children of Israel and their time in the in, uh, the, in Egypt and then how they were delivered uh, from the chariots and horsemen of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea as it parted. And he just, as I said, goes through a, a history of how God had sovereignly ministered to the children of Israel. And he even says that when they had victory in battle, according to verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. And then he says this, It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. In other words, you are deriving the benefit of your household and their ability to eat, their ability to be comforted, their ability to have a roof over their head, the ability to be protected from, from the armies of the wicked against you. And God saying, I'm sovereign, I allowed all of that to happen You were protected from your enemies. You were given that which you didn't labor. You were given cities that you hadn't built. You were given food that you didn't harvest. And then Joshua says in those famous words, verses 14 and 15, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, that is, Yahweh, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you're like me and you've had a Christian family for some time, you may have even had that phrase, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord embroidered or maybe in calligraphy or you framed it at your house. How many of you have had something like that? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many of you. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that, dads? It's up to us, ultimately, as fathers, to lead our families spiritually, to lead our wife and to lead our children. And I believe he gives us the answer there in verse 14, right before the famous phrase of verse 15. Notice our three-point outline for this morning. Now, therefore, number one, fear the Lord. That's number one, fear the Lord. And then number two, serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. So fear the Lord. Secondly, serve the Lord. And then thirdly, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord, serve Yahweh. So number one, fear the Lord. Number two, serve the Lord and number 3 worship the lord don't worship foreign gods you know that is a that is a wonderful recitation of what it means for you and your house to serve the lord as a christian family you have the opportunity to, and especially you dads the privilege and the honor and the obligation we would say to fear the lord To serve the Lord and to worship the Lord. And I want to unpack that a little bit. I want us to talk about those three elements of what I could charge you as fathers in doing. And not just in your own households, but as your own households then gather together together as we, as one family of God, as one church, as one local expression of what God is doing in the Conejo Valley, you and I would then collectively fear the Lord, serve the Lord, worship the Lord. What does it mean, first of all, to fear the Lord? Well, if you were to ask me, I would say that there are two components of fearing the Lord. And the first one is this that we should, if we're truly fearing the Lord, have what I might call a holy reverence for God. A holy reverence or a holy awe of who God is. Now why do I say that? Well, I say that because God is transcendent. He's wholly other than we are. We are chock full through and through with sin. Now even we as regenerate persons, as saved persons, as Christian people still battle with sin every day of our lives and God is wholly other than that. He is mighty and majestic and sinless and powerful and sovereign and we ought to have a very, very holy appreciation of that transcendent God. No wonder he says in the book of Leviticus, You shall be holy, for I am holy. A holy reverence for God. But I don't think it just stops there. I think it also moves to what I might call a healthy dread of God. Healthy in the sense that we don't look to him anymore as Christians as the Father, our judge. We look to Him as the one who has judged our sins at the cross through Christ, but we nevertheless see Him also as that heavenly Father who commands us to live and to be holy as He is holy, and that we do that in the face of the healthy dread that He is that powerful God, and that He does desire and command our obedience. I think in our culture, especially in this 21st century that we live, that we don't have a sense of the holiness of God, and we want to bring God down often to a particular level of acceptability to us, and we want to elevate ourselves higher than we actually are to a level in which we almost see ourselves even Stephen with the Almighty. And of course, these things ought not to be. Because He is that transcendent, holy other God who is without sin, mighty and sovereign in the skies, who determines the boundaries of our lives and He commands us to be obedient to Him and to come to Him in a healthy yet dreaded way. So if you think about the fear of the Lord, you think about it in this sense, a holy, awesome reverence and a healthy dread of his person. Healthy in the sense that he's not my judge anymore because of Christ, but I still know him to be different than I am yet even in that transcendent position he is imminent, he is near. I can have intimacy with him as my Heavenly Father. That's what I think it really means to fear the Lord. If you want to see how this translates, dads, in your relationship, as the head of your home, to your wife and to your children, I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want you to see the pattern, the very early pattern, of God's people being told, especially fathers now, to disciple your children, to teach your children. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1. Now this is the commandment, Moses says, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Moses speaking to the people, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may, here's that phrase, fear the Lord your God. Think holy reverence, healthy dread. You may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your sons. Son. You see the father to son to grandson relationship? That's what you are to do. You are to teach in your possessing of this land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, by keeping, here's your life and lifestyle, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and with honey." excuse me, chapter 10, verse 12, chapter 10, verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, holy reverence, healthy dread, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. I've... I've saved you, I've chosen you as my people, not because there was anything inherent within you, but because I chose you, because I chose you to set my love upon you. And I'm telling you, as fathers, as forefathers, what you have to do is you have to circumcise the foreskin of your heart, spiritually speaking, and you have to teach this truth to your children and to their children, and you have to do it because I call upon you to be holy, for I am holy. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord God. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is almost, in a sense, another recitation, Psalm 103, of the, of the history of Israel. And Psalm 103 uses that term again to fear the Lord. Look at verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children. Well, how are your children going to know to fear the Lord? Because you're going to, both by your life and your lips, show them how to fear the Lord. To those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, We are to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture means that you keep them by these precepts and commandments on the right path. And admonition means that you correct them when they veer off that path. Nurture, positive. Warning, instruction. Admonition, negative. Keep them on the path by nurturing them. Warn them when they veer from the path of the warnings that God has given. This is... This is Fearing the Lord. This is what it means. And so Joshua is about to die. In fact, if you look back at Joshua 24, verse 29 says, After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they had a major leader in Joshua. Right? Right? just as his predecessor, Moses. I mean, God supplied them even with great fathers. And they needed to respond to that fathering, to that nurturing, to that warning. And Joshua was coming to the end of his life, and he's saying, I've got a will and testament that I want to give to you. And this is what he says, you have to fear the Lord. Now I know when people hear the word fear, They try to define it in a human way as though fear in terms of being afraid of. But I've defined it for you the way the Bible does, to have a a holy reverence of God, His transcendence, and a healthy dread and imminence of that God that we love and serve, but we also know is holy other than we are. So we fear Him in the right way, not the wrong way. And we fear the Lord by keeping His commandments. We fear the Lord by teaching our children and our children's children. When our family, just to give you an example, were, were being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, eight of them, five girls, three boys, we catechized them. We, we took them a, a, a little bitty catechetical booklet, and we gave it to them, and we put their names in it. And for years, we catechized them. We said, who is God? And they would define that. Now, they initially did that with rote, They initially did that, not because they understood a lot of the implications, but over time, you are teaching them, you are training them, and you do it both by your life and your lips, and you catechize them so that they would know the truth of the Word of God when you're gone. I don't suspect I'm going to be living until I'm 110, but in the limited time that I have, I want them to learn the truth of the Word of God, and how to respond to life. That's what a father is to do. And there are multiple ways of doing it, of training, of teaching. You may have a more effective way than than I chose to do it, but I see what Joshua is saying here is that you should fear the Lord in a way that you are teaching them the truth so that when you're off the scene like he died at 110, you would be able to rest your soul in the fact that you follow through as a teacher and trainer of righteousness to these children. Fathers, that's my challenge to you this morning. Secondly, he also says, in addition to fearing the Lord, serve Him. Serve the Lord. Oh, this is so important. Serve the Lord. And he says that there are two ways that you must serve the Lord, in sincerity and faithfulness. In sincerity and faithfulness. Now, sincerity, that's a very interesting word. Our English word, sincere, comes from a Latin word called sinicera. And how they determined if something was authentic, if something was real, if something was quote unquote sincere. They would take, for instance, um, a piece of pottery or or something made of wax that a a seller, a, a potter wanted to sell someone. And, in those days, just like our own, there might have been unscrupulous men who were trying to sell somebody a bill of goods right the 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 flaw might be in that pottery. But upon first glance, you might not see that there was a crack in such a bowl and so what you did was you took that bowl and you held it up to the light of the sun and If that sun shining through showed you any cracks whatsoever you would say that that pottery was not sinicera. It was not sincere. It had a flaw. It was cracked. And so conversely, if you say, I want to be a sincere individual, that means that you want to live without cracks. And what they would do, these these potters, is they would hold that bowl up and they would try to determine by wax how to hide the flaw, hide the crack. And sinesera became a word that was used without wax, sincere. And then he says, serve him not only sincerely, but serve him in truth or faithfulness. And I love the balance there, that we are attempting to serve the Lord in a sincere way, and we're also serving the Lord in a truthful way. I don't have my own message. I mean, I, as I've said before, could preach to you in such a way that I could entertain you, I could make you laugh, I can make you cry, I can jerk your emotions from hither and yon, uh, I could do it from pillar to post so that you would go away saying, "Now, now he's a good speaker, I like the way he speaks. But I don't have such a bag of tricks that I can do every Sunday to jerk your emotions so that you would walk away thinking of me as the speaker. I want you to think of the speaker with capital S. God is speaking. This is what God is saying. And this is what Joshua is doing as, as he's coming to the end of his life. Now, therefore, children of Israel, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and in truth. That's why when we serve the Lord, we want to serve the Lord in such a way that the Lord sees our life as one having sincere transparency. Not perfection. Not perfection at all. We're going to sin, and when we sin, we have to make that right, we have to do what's right, but we do it in sincerity, even when we confess sin, even when we seek forgiveness. We do it with a sincere heart, and we do it according to truth. We don't do it according to our standards. We don't do it according to the, the uh, combining of the, the standards of others with our lives, and then we, we look at their lives, and then we look at our lives, and we make a, an exchange. Well, that guy's not doing so hot, and I'm doing better than he is, so I must be okay. No, what we say is, I want to do it according to the truth, the standard, the statutes of God's own word. And we're all going to fall short of that standard, so what do we do? We run to Jesus Christ. We run to Him. And we say, Jesus, live your life through me. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my Redeemer. Live your life through me. Live the truth life through me. Jesus, this is is why the the young man of Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it, how? According According to thy word. And then verse 11, I want to hide your word so securely, so firmly into my heart that I may not sin against you. Now that's a man who's attempting to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. That's what Joshua means. That's what these words mean. This is a kind of an authenticity, a kind of transparency that we need. In fact, I told some of the brethren, some of the men, you know, we meet on Tuesday mornings with a group. I meet on Thursday mornings with a group. I meet on Saturday mornings with a group. And I praise God for these men. I wish there were more of them. We had 62 of our ladies who showed up to do a 10-week Bible study in the summer And we don't have 62 men. We need more men. We need more men to stand up and to fear the Lord and to serve the Lord in sincerity and and faithfulness or truth. And we were talking about that, and we were talking about revitalizing this church. And and I said to the men, I need you men. The church needs you men. And I thank God that you're here at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings. And here's what we need you to do. We need you to pray for our church. Would you be willing to come as we have our regular evening service at 5 o'clock and I take us through 30 minutes or less a psalm and then we pray that song back, uh, psalm back to the Lord and we corporately pray for our church. Our church is under massive spiritual attack. Satan is real. I told these brothers the other day, I can smell his foul, wicked breath in our midst. Satan is real. He wants this church to die. He wants our lampstand to be taken away. And I won't have it. I want God to be glorified in our midst. I want this church to be a praying church. Prayer and the Word of God will be the only thing to revitalize this ministry. And when Joshua comes to the end of his life, He accentuates this idea of the kind of sincerity and faithfulness that I think you and I can only see energized in our lives through corporate prayer together. Come to our church. Not tonight at 5 o'clock. Come next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. The whole lot of you. Men, you come. Lead as men to pray for us as men and women. That's the kind of sincerity. That's the kind of faithfulness. That's what will win the battle for the spiritual armament we need for souls. This is critical. We're at critical mass. Thirdly and finally, he says here, not only to serve the Lord and to fear the Lord, but to put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's got worship written all over it. Fear the Lord, serve the Lord, worship the Lord. Don't worship foreign gods, he says. And if you look at the history of Israel, all you find time and time and time again is this this going back and forth and back and forth. And they say when they get into tons of trouble because they've been worshiping foreign gods, oh God, we've forsaken you. We have not done the right thing. We're not seeing your blessing. Our families are being killed by by wicked marauders. Our houses are being destroyed. Our food supply is being used up. We need you again. We repent. God is ever so gracious, ever so kind, I made a covenant with you. I promised I would not leave you nor forsake you, but repent. Put away these false gods. And you know, if we translated it to our own day, we'd say, well, what kind of false gods are we talking about? I mean, they had had carved images that they put on the mantle and they bowed down to it. And you know, if you really thought about that, because it was the very God that they themselves created by their own hands, that's in the vernacular pretty stupid. Because they created it. Why, why do I create a God that I then have to bow down to Him instead of the reverse? Right? But wait a minute. We do it. We create scenarios and situations in which we want that which we're pursuing to serve us. Like what? Money. Power. Power. Prestige, sex, allegiance, whatever it may be, and whatever form it may come. We bow down to the very thing that we want, and when it fails us time and again to give us what we're attempting to achieve, we get angry at the real God for not giving us what we want when we're worshiping the false God all along. And we're still not happy. Even if we got it for a a moment, even if we had momentary pleasure, it's not lasting, never is. It's a foul stench of a bait and switch that Satan seduces us to think we're really happy. That's why one author said so well, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. So we pursue our idols. We we do our own business. We follow after our own false gods. And that's what he's telling them. Put away. This is a command. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And I, I can just see them right now. They're standing there. Joshua is about to die. He's giving them his last will and testament. And they want to please him. And he says in verse 15, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether it's the gods of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you currently dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He put an exclamation point on his answer, right? And I can just hear them. Oh, yes, we know that our fathers and our forefathers served those foreign gods, but we won't do it anymore, Joshua. Promise. My right hand up. I'll even put it on the Bible. Promise. Well, I've got my left hand on the tree. Ali Ali, oxen free, you can't touch me. Got my hand on the tree. And that's why Joshua says in verse 16, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight. Remember all those ten plagues in Egypt? We saw it with our own eyes and preserved us in all the way that we went and we heard from our fathers and they did teach us and they did warn us and among all the peoples through whom we passed and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for He is God. We're going to serve the Lord. We promise. I come to church. I'm going to serve the Lord. I promise. But Joshua said to the people, verse 19, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. he's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Don't play with Him. Don't test Him. And the people said to Joshua, No. No. But we will serve the Lord. We'll serve Yahweh. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. In other words, I'm going to put you to the test. You can't put the Lord to the test, but He's going to put you to the test. If you're really telling the truth, if you've got that sincerity in your heart, if you're going to serve the truth of this God by fearing Him, serving Him, and worshiping Him, here's what I'm going to tell you then. Then put away your foreign gods that are among you, incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel, And they say to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. It's written down. Guilt edge guarantee. It's there. It's in cement. It's in rock. It's a contract. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and he set it up there underneath the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us For it has heard, it, the stone, this is the witness. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So, Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. In other words, he he kind of almost set up a courtroom scene. And he's got a rock there as the chief witness. He puts the rock on the witness stand, and he tells all the people, talk to the rock promise to the rock. And of course we know, as I read in 1 Corinthians 10, that symbol of the rock, and the rock was Christ. Say to the rock, we will obey. Fathers, say to your wife, say to your children, I will lead you in the Lord. I will lead you. And it's going to require at times even the fighting of our own flesh, even when we're tired, When you come and corporately pray together with us at five o'clock to revitalize our church, it's gonna gonna take everything in your power to say to your children, say to your wife, I want you to get in the car. And in ten minutes, this is what I told the guys on Thursday, we're gonna get in the car in ten minutes, we're gonna drive to Bethany Church on the Hill. It's a lovely place. (laughs) You'll enjoy it. You can see 360-degree view of the Canoe Valley. It's beautiful. And we're gonna go in ten minutes. So I want you to get your shoes on, right? Mommy, help Johnny find his left shoe. We're going to get in the car, and we're going to go pray with God's people for the revitalization of this church. We talked about that, didn't we, men? This is an opportunity for us to see our church rise above the satanic attack. And we're going to see the Lord exalt His church, exalt His people who are serious about His Word, who want His ways, who will follow His statutes, who will fear him and serve him and worship him alone. And it's as though Joshua says, put the rock on the stand, talk to the rock, because the rock will be a witness to you this day if you do not do that. And what's the history? What's the sad history of Israel? We're going to do it! I promise! Failure. Failure. Repentance. Repentance. Failure, failure, repentance, failure. Isn't it true? And you know what I just described? The essence of my Christian life. Failure, failure, repentance, repentance. It's, it's, It's the way it is. And here's what you do. Here's what I've done a thousand times in my life. It's Monday morning. I resolve to be a different person this week. Have you ever said it to yourself? Okay, Lord, make me a better prayer this week. Let me read your word this week. I want your word in my heart. I want to memorize it. I want to meditate on it. Lord, please. And by Tuesday evening, what have I done? How have I done it? What's the resolve? Lord, I'm guilty. Confess. Seek forgiveness. Lamentations 3.23. Oh, like the dew in the morning grass, so is your faithfulness new to me every morning. Isn't it an opportunity for us to, to trust the Lord and see the Lord be gracious? and then to build spiritual fortitude so that you and I could say, church, arise like the, like the dead, dry bones. Arise, breathe onto all of us and make us revitalize, make us alive. We've got to pray. We've got to trust the Lord. We've got to read His Word. This is what Joshua saying to them. And when you commit, commit. And when you trust, trust when you pray, pray. And when you hear the Word of God, fathers, lead your people to do it. Lead your own people in your own house and lead the house of God. Lead. men. I'm counting on you. Pray for me. I pray for you that we would be the leaders, the fathers that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Oh, Father, bring us grace Bring us mercy. Allow us to effect change by acknowledging to you our need for repentance, trust. Lord, we fall so many times and yet you pick us up so many more times. Work with us. Allow us to come praying as a congregation. Allow us to to see the fiery, smelly, hot breath of the evil one breathing down our necks and let us fight him with all of our might using the spiritual armor of God, particularly the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and persevering prayer. Oh, may it be so. And may you raise up a legion of men Fathers and grandfathers who will say no to the enticements of the world and who will say yes to fearing you, serving you, and worshiping you all of our days. May it be so for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.